This is Bo Buchanan, Arizona Lodge Number 2, and I'm here speaking on the level with Larry Schaefer. Larry, why don't we start out by giving me your full name, the name of your home, Blue Lodge, and any offices or titles you have connected to that lodge. Um, yes, it's Larry Charles Schaefer. Uh, I'm a member of Arizona Lodge Number 2, and I'm a past master of that lodge. And when were you raised, where, and how long have you been a Mason? Well, I was raised in Phoenix, Arizona, in uh, Harmony Lodge Number 57, uh, which has since folded and then folded back into Arizona Lodge Number 2. So I was raised, uh, I want to say, April of uh, 1982, I believe, and um, and became uh, master of the lodge, I think, in about 18, 1986 or 1987. And then uh, when... Uh, Subsequently, it became master of Arizona Lodge Number Two in, I want to say, 2009. I'm not sure what the date is. Two different years. Well, I was master of Harmony at 57. Oh, I'm sorry, Harmony. That's yeah, right. Okay. And then master of Number Two later. Okay, so master of two different lodges. Okay. And do you remember going way back in time? Do you remember when the first time was you ever heard of this thing called masonry? Yeah. Um, I was a Dean Lay, um, oh, and okay. uh, my dad was in the Air Force, and we were stationed at a place called uh, Edizuki Air Force Base in Japan, and uh, he became a Mason, and then they were trying to start a Dean Lay chapter. So at age 14, I joined the Dean Lay chapter, and uh, uh, you know they didn't have a whole lot of kids there, so I was the I was the master counselor there. <laughs> And at age 14, I was a past master counselor. So, you know, I still continued to deem lay as dad would move around a lot. But, um, you know, I my first connection was uh, uh, smelling the cigar smoke in, in a lodge in, uh, in, in Japan. Wow. Smelling the cigar smoke in a lodge in Japan. That's interesting. So what you you joined DMLA at a pretty young age. So you knew you probably knew a little bit about masonry, you know, from your adult sponsors, did they call them? I know nowadays they call them dads. Did you call them that then? Yes. Uh huh. Okay. We had a couple, um, and it was it was a good time. And then we moved from there. We moved to um, Glasgow Air Force Base in Montana, and uh, the nearest DMLA chapter was in Glasgow, Montana. So I got I went to that one a couple of times, and it was again it was just kind of fun and it was a lot of different kids and uh, you know I didn't have a whole lot in common with the people in Glasgow but it, it turned out just right masonry seemed to be a common and demolay seemed to be a common element anyway right everywhere you go there's enough of a similarity that there's something to base space it on yeah so now I know when you're in demolay you hit a majority age at 21 yeah so what happened when you hit that majority age um, frankly, not much. <laughs> what I did is um, we we moved here. We moved to Phoenix in 1965, and in 1965, I would have been 17 years old. So uh, my brother and I joined Glendale Chapter Order of DMLA. And uh, since I was already past master, I didn't have a whole lot of doing leadership there. I did a lot of the secretary treasurer stuff and did some ritual and that kind of thing. 
but um, when I hit 18, I went off to college, and me and DMLA just kind of separated <coughs> at that point. It, oh. it, was, it was just kind of a, um, you know, that was, let's see, at 18, that would have been 1966. Um, so I was in college at that time, and, and uh, you know, we had this other little problem going on called Vietnam that was somewhat of a concern to most of us. <laughs> yes. And a right. lot of my buddies ended up going from DMLA, going going into the, the Navy, Marine Corps, whatever, um, yeah, or being drafted. So uh, I didn't really have much to do with DMLA. I did go to the majority service, uh, but it was, um, you know, it was, okay, you hit 21, you're now out. And that's that was about what it was. Um, and then my life took on its own uh, purpose. Um, I went through college about 1970. Um, I graduated from college. In December of 1969 was the first uh, military lottery. The draft had been going on before then, but the lottery changed the manner in which people were selected. And my number uh, turned out to be lucky number four. So I pretty much knew my rear end was cannon fodder. And about a month later, I got my notice to come down and take my physical because in May of 1970, I would have graduated from college. So I did. I went down and took my physical, and, and uh, unfortunately, I passed. So um, at that point, I I looked around to get into law school, and I got into ASU Law School and then went through ROTC at the same time. So that when I came out of... Uh, uh, when I came out of uh, ROTC and out of law school, I had a commitment for two years to the to the Army. So I took a branch transfer, went into the JAG Corps three years, and... Uh, really? You were in JAG? Yeah. Got assigned to uh, Fort Campbell, Kentucky, which I thought was fantastic because it was near Vanderbilt and my, my wife could go to school. But... Um, I should have done a better job of researching Fort Campbell because it turned out to be, of course, the infantry base. <laughs> and uh, those guys were hell on wheels. So I did three years there. Then I got a branch or I got a transfer to a um, little agency outside the Pentagon. I was there for two and a half years. A little agency outside the Pentagon. Uh, it's called, uh, <laughs> let's see, Legal Services. Let's see. Uh, Legal Services Administration, something like that. D Defense Appellate Legal Services. Oh, okay. So I did appellate work before the uh, U.S. Army Court of Military Review and then the U.S. Court of uh, Military Appeals. And um, at the same time, I attended night school at Georgetown and got a master's in tax law there. So I came back to Phoenix in... Um, in uh, let's see, I came back to Phoenix in January of 1979, um, and that's when I got reconnected with Masonry. But uh, how old were you in 1979? How old? 1979. It would have been 31 years old. 31. So. so really, from 21 to 31 for 10 years, you pretty much had nothing to do with Masonry. Yeah, that's that's correct. Yeah. 
then what happened at 31? What did you do? Well, at 31, I joined this law firm, and one of the senior partners there was a mason, uh, and he had been doing some free work for the uh, for the Grand Lodge here in Arizona. So I uh, he introduced me to that and basically said I was going to be the one that was doing the free work for him. <laughs> so I met the Grand Secretary, Grand Treasurer, became pretty good friends, and eventually ended up uh, joining masonry uh, at uh, Harmony Lodge number 57 in, I think, April of 82. Uh, and then in uh, 1986, I believe, I was the master of that lodge um, and then appointed to the Grand Line as the Grand Orator. I did that for a year. That was a lot of fun, actually. And then... Uh, uh, Oscar Lyon appointed me to the line as the junior grand deacon. So, and I became grandmaster in 2000 or let's see, 1998, 1999. So that's kind you were of grandmaster of Arizona in 1998, 1999. Right. Mm -hmm. And you were worshipful master of number two after that. In yes. 2012. You said. Yeah, I took okay. a couple of years off and then and then uh, became uh, master of Arizona Lodge number two. Uh, enjoyed the experience, and uh, uh, then went through the went through. Well, I started the junior warden, so it's they were pretty desperate for people, I think. <coughs> and so I went through the the, the chairs there, uh, then went back and became senior warden a couple of times. And you know now I'm glad, happy to say that we've got a pretty darn good line of officers, and so. I, I come to lodge when it's necessary, but that's uh, but it's not that often. I'm a trustee at the lodge, so I do come for the trustees meeting. Right, and the trustees kind of like the board of directors for the lodge. Yes. Mm -hmm. So let me let me go back to when you joined Masonry, and I know you have a history in Demolay, so you already kind of know what it is. You have there was obviously a good business reason uh, to join. What were your personal reasons for wanting to join Masonry? Um. I think that the the Demley influence was very positive on me. The personal um, attributes were mo mostly to be around uh, guys that I think were similar in nature. At that point in my life, at 31 years old, you know, you're married, you've got kids, you're starting a profession. You kind of need the camaraderie that comes along with, you know, guys that are going through the similar, going through similar stages in life. So I, uh, I thought that was an important element for me. As it turned out, most of the people were a lot of y older than me, but there were enough younger guys involved that I could, you know, that, and plus there were a lot of guys that were slightly older that became pretty good influences upon me. Um, I like to say that that in Demolay, I was an extremely shy kid, and Demolay taught me to stand up and talk in front of people, and kind of gave me a lot of self-confidence that I think came later in life. Um, especially uh, masonry has followed up on that. Courtroom appearances that uh, you know that, that got me the ability to stand up and argue or or espouse or otherwise uh, assert a position. So I think Demolay and Masonry has been very valuable in that regard. What I really liked most about Masonry is that it was one night a week that I could that I could go someplace 
and forget about the troubles of the world. You know, when I went into a Masonic Lodge, I didn't have to worry about the bills being paid. I didn't have to worry about the kids being taken care of. I didn't have to worry about the credit card bills and all that kind of good stuff. It was just nice to be able to uh, to be around guys who had, and, and most of them weren't even similar to me in profession or otherwise, but we had one thing in common, and that was the beliefs that we hold in masonry. So that was a very comforting, and it provided a lot of stability in my life, I think. Can you can you share any specific memories uh, uh, from when you were grandmaster? Like, tell me about your year as as grandmaster. What was that like? What was the what was one of the more fun times for you, or more interesting memories? Well, a lot of it um, at that time in our history, the Grand Lodge of Arizona was. Um, significantly divided by this issue of quantity versus quality. And, um, you know, everybody was um, on one side of the fence or the other, and it was really becoming quite personal. So from that standpoint, um, it was it was somewhat of a uh, distressing year. But from the standpoint of having an opportunity to meet the craft and to basically explain to them why I was on one fence or the other fence, or how to get how to get how to get quantity and quality, uh, that was the fun part of it. I got to meet a lot of people in this state, a lot of old timers that uh, that I've long since forgotten about, but that are uh, that are the. Uh, um, that were the backbone of a lot of our Masonic lodges. The um, you also get to draw a lot of observations about the craft and about masonry. I got to the point where I could walk into a lodge and pretty much tell what the situation was by uh, looking at who the officers were, how many times they'd served in a particular position, you know, and how many people were coming out for meetings, that type of thing. And, you know, to a certain extent, you start drawing conclusions about lodges before you actually meet some of them. But usually, in all of the good lodges, I could spot a spark plug or two, a person or key people that really kept the lodge going or whose presence uh, instilled others to excel. And, uh, you know, I could also tell when a lodge was dead because there were none of those spark plugs around. So it was uh, it was a very uh, important year in my life just from the standpoint of um, of being able to make observations, being able to meet people, being able to try to convince people and being able to better the fraternity um, by uh, by some of my legislative proposals. But um, you know, it wasn't all good. I mean, you, you also got to you also got to deal with all the bad issues in the fraternity. But uh, generally speaking, it's a it's an experience that I probably would do over again. You know, I, I did it young. I don't know that I'd do it over again right now. I, I just uh, probably doing it young was the better way to do it. Did you travel to the 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 Grandmasters Conference? Do they have one of those every year? Yes, I did. I went to. Uh, the year I was Grandmaster was in Philadelphia. Oh wow! And uh, 
that was a, it a was lot a of history time. there. Yes, it was, and we had a good time. Uh, the uh, at that time, a lot of the uh, the recognition of Prince Hall was um, being debated. It was being debated, and uh, you know, the Conference of Grand Masters is an interesting uh, association because they they don't really have a permanent existence and uh, it's, it's whoever's the master's grandmaster that year shows up and so it became kind of interesting to meet others I mean it, they sit you alphabetically so we sat right next to the representatives from Arkansas and uh, they obviously had a lot different view on Prince Hall Masonry than we did so it was uh, it was an interesting time. It was an interesting uh, it, it it was interesting discussions. Did you visit the uh, Philadelphia Lodge? Yeah, we did. Benjamin that. Franklin's Lodge, right? Yep, we visited that. It was a uh, you know Pennsylvania Freemasonry is known for its money and its programs. So they have the best of everything, and and. Uh, I'll readily admit that we stole quite a bit from, <laughs> from the programs from Pennsylvania with their knowledge and with their consent. But, sure. uh, you know, they they just uh, they do a very good job of, uh, of, of designing programs for membership at that time was primarily the thing. That's, that's pretty exciting. Have you been to the George Washington Memorial? I was on the board of directors of the George Washington Memorial uh, for three years. Oh wow! And that would have been three years after I left the Grand Master position, and uh, so I was back there quite a bit. I I got to go back for every meeting that they had, and it was that was um, it's a very worth worthwhile effort. Um, and uh, you know, I got to go to some of the parts that aren't as public as others. Uh, was there for the big inauguration of or whatever it was of the. Uh, of the big square and compass that they put out on the lawn, uh, just people everywhere. So I've, I've been blessed with having, you know, I got to go to all, uh, to any Grand Lodge I wanted to go to, on my nickel, of course, but it was, uh, you know, went to California a couple of times, went to uh, Montana, Idaho, New Mexico, Arizona, of course, uh, Texas, uh, Colorado, uh, got to meet Masons from other other jurisdictions, and compare notes about how we do things and what it really came down to is we all have a different way of doing it but it uh, it uh, but the, the substance of the organization is the same it's just you know we all disagree as to what our membership program should be but we all agree that membership is a key issue so uh, one of the things I like is that you know one of the things you mentioned before is you've got the the old guys and the young guys, and there's always, you know, go back to the history of time, they were probably fighting over the best way to kill a woolly mammoth with a stick, right? And there's always young versus old, not versus, but that's almost kind of how you pass the knowledge is that those those generations coming together and working towards that common goal, and nobody's going to have the same idea, and there's always going to be some conflict, but that's kind of life, right? Well, um, Freemasonry, in my opinion, is a study of of uh, generational struggle. I mean, it's when I joined the lodge, I was the youngest guy in the lodge. Now, when I go to lodge, I'm one of the older guys in the lodge. <laughs> and so, it's just a matter of it's just a matter of making sure that the knowledge is passed on. 
some some things never change. You know, we, we go in these cycles, these big swings of membership, and we go in these big swings about, you know, we're not gonna we're not gonna do ritual or we are gonna do ritual or whatever. And it, it seems like every generation is uh caused to revisit the uh the past in how it's done or how it was done. Um you know, there's not much new in masonry. It 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 goes back quite a bit, and if if you go back far enough, you'll find that it probably hasn't changed a whole lot either. What can you you mentioned before about uh, you know some of the good men you've met? Um, a lot of them have passed on. Can you think of anybody you'd like to tell us about? Somebody who kind of embodies those ideals of Freemasonry, maybe that people who made a difference to you on your journey, or that that really strike a chord with you. There are a couple of guys that um, uh, that helped frame my views. Um, one of the earliest one was a man by the name of Red Bailey. He was a member of, um, I believe it was Saguaro Lodge Number Forty Five, and Red was um, my DMLA advisor at Glendale Chapter. And Red had a son by the name of Gary who died in Vietnam. So when we were there, he was going through, suffering through that problem. But he was he was just uh, incredibly happy all the time and just a good guy to be around and very inspiring. Um, of more recent vintage, there's two guys that... Uh, there's a lot of guys. I mean, I could go on all day naming guys that have been important in my life in masonry, but one guy in particular, my my law partner, Jerry Engel, is the type of guy um, who um, epitomizes what Freemasonry is all about. Uh, Jerry probably hasn't been to Lodge more than five times in the last 50 years, but... um, he is well recognized in the Phoenix community uh, for his uh, devotion to a lot of different charities. Uh, he was on the Lincoln Hospital Board of Directors for many years, probably 20, 25 years, president at one time. Uh, the YMCA, you know, you name it, and he's he's been associated with just about every charitable uh, undertaking in in Phoenix. And so Jerry's the type of guy who um, may not be able to recite ritual to you, but he lives the principles of Freemasonry every day in his lifetime. Um, he's been recognized by with the 33rd degree, and he was with me on the Arizona Literacy and Learning Center board, and so we've done a lot of stuff together. But Jerry is... Uh, uh, Jerry knows everybody, and he 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 really does a good job of uh, of uh, getting people interested, and and above all else, I think, getting people excited about what happens to be the mission at that time. Then there is a younger guy by the name of Knox Kimberly, and Knox, I think, is a member of my lodge, Arizona Lodge Number Two, but Knox is probably call it 45 at this point. And Knox is a lawyer in Phoenix. Uh, in his youth, he was the state master counselor for the Order of DMLA. And I got to know Knox uh, when we were both on the uh, the uh, DMLA Foundation here in Arizona. 
And Knox was another guy that uh, was always living masonry in his concepts, never really had to be told what they were because he's just a moral type of guy. But Knox was instrumental. Uh, he, he's a lobbyist, and he was instrumental in getting the uh, the Arizona lodges uh, tax exempt on their buildings. So he's a guy that we don't hear about much, but he's a guy that's been very important to me and also very important to Masonry in Arizona. He's one of those guys that's just the quiet workers behind the scene that gets things done. Oh, bravado, just just gets things done. Do what needs to be done. Tell me about uh, number two. You were a worshipful master. Um, uh, a lot of times there's a theme or something that a worshipful master will focus on in his year. What was your year as worshipful master? What was that like? Well, when I got back active in number two after being the Grand Master, what I noticed was um, a lodge that was seriously lacking in Masonic etiquette and uh, ritual performance, proficiency, that type of thing. So my my emphasis was basically let's let's get the lodge back to where it should be. Uh, so a lot of the protocol things that we started have now taken fruit, and it's nothing more than just um, educating. You know what happens is that people, if they don't see how it's done right, then they develop a new culture. And once you tell them what it's right and how it should be done, then it becomes it becomes uh, it it becomes easier for people to understand. My emphasis that year was in. Uh, getting rid of a rift that was in the lodge, first of all, personalities again, and secondly, doing my best to train the officers about leadership, what it's like to be the master of the lodge, what are the requirements, what are your duties, um, you know, and how to, how to react to different situations. Um, I think we did a good job of that. Uh, we developed a full line of officers, which is something that they hadn't had in quite a while. And, uh, you know, just by making the thing friendly enough, thankfully, we had a lot of guys that were presenting petitions. So it was easy to pick the cream of the cop as they were coming through uh, to get them into officer positions. And, uh, you know, I think I think that that was the, that was the goal is to is is leadership training to try to get these guys to commit to being in the line and then what their duties should be. And secondly, a lot of delegation because you know, the lodge had become the point where the master or the secretary basically did everything. And so delegating to younger members so that they had the opportunity to figure out what the lodge was about before they came master. Uh, we slowed the progression down from like three or four years to be the master to a full eight-year term, and I think that was good because it gives them plenty of opportunity to uh, uh, to observe, and that's I, I think that's the best training a master can hope for is the the right to observe uh, and the ability to observe a lodge that's really doing it right. One of the other things we talk about in masonry is we take good men and make them better. Um, has masonry made you a better man? Um, I, I think it has. 
there have been plenty of opportunities um, in business or otherwise to shortcut steps. And I find myself um, thinking to myself, well, that may not be a problem, but is it the right thing to do? And so I am constantly reminded of the uh, of the lessons of masonry, and, and I think about them quite often. I still do the first-degree lecture fairly regularly, and uh, I've become uh, an advocate of the temperance prudence, fortitude, and, and uh, justice. I mean, that's that pretty well, those four, those four uh, concepts pretty much embody everything that is masonry in my view. Any, any closing, closing thoughts you'd like to share with people or thing, you know, if you were, if young masons or young curious men were listening to this in 50 years, what would you say to them? I think I would say that, 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 uh, uh the principal tenets of Freemasonry don't change. So those things that I value as important, uh, I predict will be the same in 50 years. The thing that you have to be careful about is expecting more than, uh, than you have a right to expect. Masonry is like any other organization. There are good people. There are some not so good people. There are people with their own agendas. There are people that have no agenda. And as a consequence, um, you need to be observant. You need to be thinking about, is this the way it should be done? Is, is this consistent with what the Masonic tenets are? And try to avoid all of the all the crap on the outskirts that kind of get in the way of making for good lodges. Good lodges can be ruined by by uh, um, by people that just can't get along. And uh, you know, masonry should be the place where you come to, and you may not necessarily agree with somebody, but you can bury the hatchet and share the principal tenets of Freemasonry. You know, as long as you both agree that that what the principal tendencies are, and you subscribe to those, then little things about differences and preferences, difference in politics, difference in religions, it, it becomes uh, not very important. All right, Larry. Thank you very much for taking time to talk to me today. No problem. Happy to do it.